Did I say Luke chapter 2? All right. Let me just say two that over the last, I, I think, four or five years, you know, when I hit, when I hit Christmas, I kind of, um, I love tradition, but I love new things. I am an early adopter. So if the iPhone 10 is out, I'm already talking to Jesus about it, you know, or whatever. And if, if there's a fresh move of God blowing somewhere, I'm not going to sit back and wait. I'm going to travel and go where God's moving and just receive an impartation. I just jump on stuff as I sense God moving and all those kinds of things. And, and so as we, were, as we were, like, talk about Christmas, you know, I was thinking, you know, this 24th today, it's Christmas Eve day, and I try and break the mold of, like, you know, on the 24th, do a Christmas message, you know, do a nice, and, you know, just kind of the churchy mentality type of thing. I'm just telling my, this is my own personal struggle. And, uh, and it doesn't have to be that, but in the last four or five years, the Lord has, he's, he's, he's bringing me back to his, his kingship, you know, and anytime I read the Christmas story, as we will in Luke chapter 2 in a few moments, I'm always, I'm always drawn into the, the kingly Jesus that was born and that, uh, that, you know, we have the magi and these people giving gifts. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I intentionally begin reading the Christmas story, even at my age, older than some of you, I intentionally read, begin reading the Christmas story very intentionally a week before, a week and a half, two weeks before Christmas even. Like, because I want to be reminded. I want the story to hit my heart again. I don't want it to be some locked-in tradition. Jesus is far greater than Santa Claus. And I'm just saying, this, you know, you can have Santa Claus, you know, like in your house. Just make sure you have plenty of nativities uh, that kind of take over your home instead of Rudolph, you know. So, so I just want to encourage you that, that really this is what it's all about. And so as I was reading, and I never know really what's going to come out. When it, <laughs> over the last four or five years when I've just chatted with you guys. But I just want to encourage you guys, when you read Luke chapter 2, when you read Matthew chapter 2, ask the Holy Spirit just to, to take it further, to take it deeper, that you give, gain new revelation around it. And, you know, though we've, we've, we have tradition in our home, like many of you, we read the Christmas story every year. We've done so ever since our kids were tiny, 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 and tiny. And, um, and I just, I don't want the freshness of the story to ever lose the weight of the revelation. Does that make sense? And uh, though we kind of get into routines, don't let the routines become a boring let the routines actually bring you to another level of life in God. And so as I was reading, so this year I picked up the, the Passion Translation because I read the Christmas story in different translations. And, and I want to, again, I want the Holy Spirit to speak to me in so many different ways. And so I just want to encourage you guys, if you, if, you know, to check out different translations. For me, we'll be sharing out of the Passions, Passion Translation. And the great thing about uh, Brian, who's the guy who wrote 
and translated uh, and made the Passion Translation. He has incredible, insightful footnotes. And uh, I, I am going to share a few of those with you. So this is going to be more of a, just a, a thing that's hitting my heart, and I'm going I'm to roll it out uh, in your direction. Also, when I read Scripture, I want to put myself there. And I also, uh, I'm also drawn to context. It's just I ask a lot of questions when it comes to read. I can, I can ask nine, I can ask ten questions easily for each verse that I read. And I have to shut my questions down sometimes, but I am drawn to it. I'm like, a, I'm like an investigator when it comes to the Word. I like to read it, and then I was like, wow, I wonder how far it is from here to here. I'm like, I wonder how long they travel. Like, what was it really like to be, and I'll never know, to be nine months pregnant and travel for three days or four days, and you're almost ready to deliver. Like putting myself in that, I can never, you know, never put myself in that position, but I could actually, I can certainly, you know, relate to Joseph and what he was feeling like when he was actually making the journey to, uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And when we read scriptures, it's important to pause for a moment. And ask those questions and then put yourself there and ask the Holy Spirit, like, give me a revelation, a little bit of what Joseph might have been thinking or feeling or what was Mary thinking or feeling even in the journey. And the Holy Spirit will make things known to you. It actually breathes life to the scriptures. So are you ready? Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And then I actually, I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. And then Matthew chapter 2, 1 through, uh, 1 through 12 is where I'm going to go. This is how the Passion Translations, <clears throat> Translation. During those days, the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus ordered that the first census be taken throughout the, his empire. This other guy, I'm not going to try and mention his name. I should do better on that, was the governor of Syria at that time. And everyone had to travel to his or her hometown to complete the mandatory census. So in other words, uh, Caesar Augustus goes ahead and orders this cent- cent- uh, census, and there's, just, there's people traveling everywhere. So if you know Israel, Israel is not that big. And so you have all these people who are having to make tracking into different parts of cities from one city to another. So Bethlehem was completely packed, all right? So kind of putting you, putting you there with a bunch of stuff going on, people going, traveling here and there is kind of chaotic. Verse 4 and 5, so Joseph and his fiancée, Mary, left Nazareth a village in Galilee and journeyed to their hometown in Judea to the village of Bethlehem. Bethlehem actually means house of bread. And in some research, uh, oh, let me just finish this, King David's ancient home. So in research, uh, that's where obviously David was from. And actually, if you go back even further, it really means house of, house of warriors or house of fighters. So Jesus was actually born in a, in a sphere or a realm named or entitled House of Fighters or House of, House of Warriors, obviously David being warrior king, right? 
And so there they were required to register since they were uh, both direct descendants of David. Mary was pregnant and nearly ready to give birth. So from Nazareth to Bethlehem was about, they say, about 65 miles. You can go about 20 miles a day. When, it, when the Bible says a day's journey, it all depends on what kind of shape you're in, first of all. But some, you know, I'm thinking there's Joseph uh, and then there's Mary. Mary is nine months pregnant and she has to travel 65 miles. They didn't have uh, Teslas. Uh, they didn't have, you know, minivans. You know, that would be an hour and a half drive, an hour and 15 minutes. If you're in the Bay Area, three hours, uh, depending on when you leave. But here, they're actually, it's actually a, a little over three-day journey uh, from Nazareth uh, to Bethlehem. And again, she's nine months pregnant, so it probably wasn't, I'm sure there were frequent stops and all kinds of things going there, maybe even been a four-day journey. So they're tired, you know, and, and so let's pick it up in verse 4 or 6. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor. Now, I don't know. Was that immediate? I don't know, but it was soon after. And there she gave birth to her firstborn son. The birthing process was not like Kaiser or, you know. So just imagine the, the surroundings. They were actually, as you know, they were uh, somewhere other than a home. And uh, it was cold, etc. And so she goes ahead. She goes into labor. I hope she had a quick labor. We don't know how long that labor is. I remember when Wendy went into labor. Three. I just told her I didn't say much. I just, I just said, honey, no, I, I didn't say much. We did take, is it called Lamaze? How many of you remember Lamaze? Do they even do Lamaze anymore? Like you have to focus and breathe, you know? So I just, I was very careful. I just tried to follow instructions so she won't say anything to me. And after wrapping the newborn baby in strips of cloth, they laid him in a feeding trough since there was no available space in any upper room in the village. Verse 8, that night in a field near Bethlehem, there were shepherds watching over their flocks. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them lighting up the field with the blazing glory of God. Can you imagine? That would be pretty cool. And the shepherds were terrified. It's interesting when God shows up, our first reaction is fear or terror. At some, at some point, the supernatural has to become natural, right? But the angel reassured them saying, don't be afraid for I have come to bring you good news. The gospel is what? This gospel's good news, the most joyous news the world has ever heard, and it is for everyone everywhere. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. Oh, don't you like that? 
Redeemer, Rescuer. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah, who will, uh, you will recognize him by this miracle sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. So let me just take a moment and read to you what Brian says. I thought I'm just going to read it instead of just trying to tell you because it's, it'll just take longer if I try and tell you. And Brian says it so succinctly, I think it'll help you gain context of what this, I've never, I never seen this part before. This is the first time I've seen, I'm seeing this. A baby lying in a feeding trough where animals were kept nearby wrapped in strips of cloths became a sign of the man's Savior's life on earth. He entered the world as a lowly baby, and though he is the mighty God, he lived his life on earth in gentleness before all. The shepherds that night were possibly near Bethlehem at a place called Migdal Eder, the watchtower of the flock. This would fulfill both the prophecies of Micah chapter 5 and Micah chapter 4 verse 8 would say to you it he uh, will come your dominion kingdom from old will arrive. It was at the lower floor of the watchtower, this is the watchtower that the shepherds came from called Big Dal Eater, that the birthing, here it is, that the birthing of the Passover lambs would take place. So here they are at Migdal Eater. <laughs> I know I'm messing that up. Here they are, possibly over there. Here's this, the angels come. Here's this burst. The shepherds are already, they're already, they're very familiar with how the Passover lamb is actually raised. And this is the point of the revelation, that they're going to associate Jesus as being the Passover lamb, the one who takes the sin of the world away. I just love the detail of the Lord. You know, he doesn't miss anything. He's so strategic. So anyway, it was at the lower floor of the watchtower that the birthing of the Passover lambs, plural, would take place. Selected ewes, ewes female, that were about to give birth would be brought there. After the birth of the lambs, the priestly shepherds would wrap the lambs in cloth and lay them in a manger lined with soft hay to prevent them from hurting themselves. Now, if you... Now go back and read the encounter and what the angels say. After the birth of the lambs, the priestly shepherds would wrap the lambs in cloth and lay them in a manger lined with soft hay to prevent them from hurting themselves. For Passover lambs must be unblemished with no bruise or broken bone. The miracle sign for these priestly shepherds would be a baby boy lying where the Passover lamb should be, in a manger wrapped in strips of cloth 
It was at the cradle of Jesus Christ that the kingdom from ancient times arrived on earth. Wow, isn't that a... Okay, I just get rocked. Even those little things like that. It's like, oh, it's some good food. <laughs> and then I just ponder it. So then, I, then I travel back to the encounter and I'm like, what did the angel say? So the angel reassured them, don't be afraid for I come to bring you good news the most joyous news in the world has ever heard, and it is for everyone everywhere. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born, for he is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. You will recognize him by the miracle sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a feeding trough. Can you imagine the weight of that revelation to shepherds? And their occupation is to prepare the Passover lamb. Then all at once, verse 13, then all at once a vast number of glorious angels appeared in the very armies of heaven, and they all praised God singing. See, armies sing. Armies praise. Oh, come on, you guys. They said, glory to God in the highest realms of heaven, for there is peace and good hope given to the sons of men. Verse 15, when the choir of angels disappeared back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go, I said, let's go, exclamation point. Let's go, let's hurry and find this word personified that is born in Bethlehem and see for ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. So they ran into the village. They didn't walk. They didn't stroll. Like they were ecstatic with this heavenly encounter, which is amazing enough as it is. They knew that these were the armies of God I don't know what the armies of God look like. Did they have spears? Did they have shields? Did they have like stuff that they were, they were draped with that gave that impression that they were the armies of God? But armies sing. They have this encounter. They get this revelation. This is the Passover lamb. And they say to themselves, let's go now. And they ran. Oh, where am I? So they ran into the village and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a feeding trough. In other words, Matthew is communicating something to us that this is the child that was in the manger, the feeding trough. This was a sign to the shepherds that Messiah just showed up. If, not, if they didn't get it then, they're going to get it later, all right? Upon seeing this miraculous sign, the shepherds recounted what just happened. In other words, they reflected on what the angels said, everything that just took place. And everyone who heard the shepherd's story was astonished by what they were told. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart and often pondered what they meant. And the shepherds returned to their flocks ecstatic 
over what just happened. Can you imagine the conversation? Life-changing, right? They're going to have that story forever, right? They praised God and glorified him for all they had heard and seen for themselves, just like the angel said. So in the story, now we see a bit, a little bit, a little bit more of a, of a wider view that Jesus is coming. He comes not because, you know, hey, it was more than just like, it was more than like, man, there was no room in the hotel or the inn or the upper room, lower room. So we, we just had to throw him in a manger, set him in a manger because they were poor. But no, 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 no. There's significance to the story. They were, he was set there because he's going to represent something. The Lord is going to be, the Lord is going to go actually encounter a bunch of shepherds because they have a clue on what this is about. He doesn't encounter the shepherds somewhere else. He encounters the shepherds where they actually raise up Passover lambs that they use, and he gives them the encounter to go to, the, to where Mary and Joseph are, and then they have the face-to-face encounter and the revelation as, could this be the Lamb of God? Can I just tell you that sometimes when things just don't make sense, God's in control? You know, like, like this is not some random event that took place. This is something that the Lord calculates, and he still calculates every step we take in our life, every encounter that he gives us has purpose and meaning. And though we might not understand it, though we're like, what is this? We have to be like Mary and give it a lot of thought and prayer, ponder those things in her heart as actually what God is doing. All right. Matthew chapter 2. I told you I'd be somewhat brief. You guys there? No pages turning, so I'm thinking it's digital. Right? Is this digital? It's digital, digital. Okay. Okay. So now in the Christmas story in the fields, because we reserve the Passover lamb for Easter or for the cross. But all at the very beginning, he's, he's actually revealed as a lamb of God. All right, you guys ready for another one? This is kind of, this is kind of cool too. So welcome to my journey. That's what I'm sharing. I'm just sharing my journey today. Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12, Passion Translation. Jesus was born in Bethlehem near Jerusalem during the reign of King Herod. And after Jesus' birth, a group of spiritual priests, otherwise known as, some some translations say wise kings, some wise men, some translate a magi or magi or, you know, whatever. It actually comes from the Greek word, we get the word magi from the Greek word that they used. All right, so after Jesus' birth, a group of spiritual priests from the east came to Jerusalem and inquired of the people, where is the child who was born king of the Jewish people? Now, I'm going to read something to you in just a moment, but let me just kind of give you context, right? So the trip that they took was about eight or 900 miles. So this wasn't going from Fremont to Newark or from Fremont to San Jose. 
This is, this is a eight or 900 mile trip. And if you just did the math for a moment, divided that up by 20, depends on what number you're at, you're about a 40 day trip. It does not, the scripture also does not say, which maybe uh, that'll, that'll happen in the footnote, but does not say it was three kings. Doesn't say it was three men. So, anyway. So they also recognize, also what's important to note is that it doesn't say baby, it says child, who is born king of the Jewish people. So they recognize Jesus as being a king, the kingly side of who he was. Of course, that freaked out Herod, right? We observed his star rising in the sky, and we've come to bow before him in worship. Because that's what you do when you present yourself before a king. You kneel. That's kingdom. That's not, that's not a democracy or a republic. The kingdom is when you get before a king, you kneel. And you bring a gift. Which we'll hit that in January, February, March. We'll talk about the kingdom. I'm looking forward to that. So here's the note. These these. These uh, spiritual priests were known as interpreters. These wealthy priests would have traveled with an entourage for protection as the officials from the east. The Greek word mag- magos or magos, everyone just say magos, just, just help me with that, is taken from the Mede language and means spiritual advisors or simply priests. They were appointed by Darius over the, uh, over the state religion as priests of Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And served as official advisors to the king. In other words, they were in the palace. They understand kingdom. They were wise, they were advisors. Another person wrote, they were high priests of the Zoroastrian religion. Darius and other Persian kings respected them, valued them, and sought their advice in their decisions. By the time of Jesus' birth, Persia had been conquered and was being governed by successors to Alexander the Great. It is possible, this is where it gets a little technical, that Magos came from the Mesopotamian region of Seleucia. And see also Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 511, where the prophet Daniel is given the title chief of the Magio. Man, the Magio of that. It is possible, terrible, sorry, that's, strike that from the tape. Just strike it right now. Don't even, I thought, I actually thought of Joe DiMaggio too, but I didn't want to say it either. So if you got it in my mind for 30 seconds, you would run right out of my mind as fast as you can. It is probable that these magos were descendants of those who were, don't get religion on me and religious on me, but. Uh, were descendants of those who had been taught by Daniel 
And because of this, his prophecy of the Messiah being, quote, cut off, that they may have been able to decipher the date of his birth along with the interpretation of his star rising. Okay, that was the technical side. The Magi were not just following a star out of curiosity. They had great pre-knowledge about this birth and the identity of Christ. They knew who they were, they knew who they were seeking and what to do when they found him. Worship. Because uh, anyway, when they saw the star, they knew instantly that it was pointing to the Christ child. They told Herod, we saw his star, Matthew 2, 2. And they knew that a child would be born around that time and were expecting it. They knew Jesus was a king, asking Herod, where is the one who is to be born king of the Jews? They also knew that the child was not only a king, but was God. Because they proclaimed, we have come to worship him. What's, what kind of gripped me this week was that at least the shepherds came and they saw Jesus. But here it appears that these were the first people who came and worshipped Jesus. I'm assuming the shepherds probably did. Secondly, that, that this was probably no, no less than 40 days after his, after his birth but it could have been up to two years. And so there's debate, you know, where you land on that thing. It could be 60 days because Herod wanted to kill all the male, all the male children two years of old, two years old and younger. So you can even put Jesus about a year. But I'm, I'm thinking even at two years, like my grandson's just turned two just recently. Like what is a two-year-old you know, they're, and you're a two-year-old boy. That's another revelation that you really need to, you know. And so you have this two-year-old, a year or two. So you have Jesus, which is so beautifully portrayed in the song that I think Ryan was alluding to, just talking about he came with, he was, the, he was fully God. He's omniscient, all-knowing, but he came and had a baby's mind that was actually being developed, which is just you just meditate on that for a moment and you just, you're, you're, you just like, you just fall on your knees and you say, okay, God, I, I don't get it, but I, I love you. And so what's, what's, what's striking to me is that these were non-Jews. What's striking to me that if indeed these were the first people that, that worshiped Jesus, then, I mean, out, outside of the revelation of Mary and Joseph, and this is, and can you imagine trying to, carry that in your brain and you give birth and then, you know, there he is and you have the shepherd showing up and we really don't know what's going on in between, whether it's after 40 days or not, we just know the purification and all that took place, then, then really the, the first ones who encountered him in such a way, these magi were the first, and if they're non-Jewish, to me, they're Gentiles. And that, that Gentiles came and we didn't, we know that the gospel didn't, you know, it was in Acts chapter 10, I believe is when Peter has the, the vision of the blanket with the animals on it. 
And that's when the revelation comes that the gospel is also for the Gentile. But in the Christmas story, we see, that's not much of a, it's a story, but you know what I'm saying, true story. The Christmas story is about Gentiles, non-Jewish, wealthy people coming, these advisors, these very knowledgeable advisors, having a much, much revelation where in the shepherds, the, the revelation just bursts on the scene. Here, we see that these guys studied, that these guys were in the books. These guys were looking at prophetic things and put, putting pieces together. Holy Spirit's helping them along the way, but they're coming and they're bowing their knee in worship as non-Jewish non-Jewish people. I thought that was kind of interesting. Okay. I'm not done yet. I got one more piece. Verse 3. King Herod was shaken to the core when he heard this because he was intimidated. There's two kings here. There should only be one king. And also kings were deified back then. So he was, he was actually deified as king. And so here comes another king king and on the scene. So he's, he's shaken to the core, verse 3, and not only him, but all of Jerusalem was disturbed when they heard the news. So the news traveled. So he called a meeting of the Jewish ruling priests and religious scholars demanding that they tell him where the promised Messiah was prophesied to be born, verse 5. And he will be born, uh, he will be born in Bethlehem in the land of Judah, They told him because the the prophecy states, verse 6, and you, little Bethlehem, Bethlehem runs between three and 500 people. That's kind of what a village contained. Maybe more. Um, And you, little Bethlehem, are not insignificant among the clans of Judah. For out of you will emerge the shepherd king of my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the spiritual priests from the east to ascertain the exact time the star first appeared. And he told them, now go to Bethlehem and carefully look for the the child. And when you found him, report it to me so that I can go and bow down and worship him too. (laughs) Cough. (laughs) Verse 9. So he left and on their way to Bethlehem suddenly... The same star that they had, been, they had seen in the east reappeared. Amazed, they watched as it went ahead of them and stopped directly over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were so ecstatic that they shouted and celebrated with unrestrained joy. I want you to catch the emotion. You know, they weren't all like, hey, man, there's a star. Let's go, bro. Like, you know... Like, they were ecstatic. You know, there was actually emotion engaged here with these guys, emotion and guys, right? Okay. When they came into the house and saw the young child with Mary, his mother, they were overcome. Falling to the ground at his feet, they worshiped him. That's profound. I mean, they had all the money in the world. They had prestige. They had honor. 
They were looked up to. Like, I'm not saying that they're on the other side of the tracks. These guys that came were prominent. But they humbled, they recognized, they recognized, supernaturally recognized a king was standing before them as a child. And not only did they say, hey, man, that's it. We got him. High five, Jesus. Let's play the game. Oh, you missed. No. Sorry, Greg Humor. So, so no, they, they actually, they, they, they fell to the ground. At his feet, because that's what you do when you get before a king, and they worshiped him. Then they opened up their treasure boxes full of gifts and presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Afterward, they returned to their own country by another route because God had warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. All right, here's the last little piece, and then I'll wrap it up today. Uh, The wise men were extremely wealthy. They presented gifts that totaled a great sum of money. Not tiny presents wrapped with bows, like we see so often. And he didn't, and they didn't appear with the drummer boy, little drummer boy, by the way. Little drummer boy is not in the story. Sorry to wreck some of your tradition. You guys really liked the little drummer boy. Remember that show? It had all the little puppet animations, you know? Rump and pump. Okay, so. Uh, the song. Anyway, uh, not tiny presents wrapped with bows, but treasure chests full of financial wealth. Listen to this. Although we are not given the monetary value of each of each type of gift, we know that frankincense and myrrh were extremely costly. These gifts would have financed. Joseph and Mary and Jesus' exodus to Egypt and supplied their living expenses for a number of years. Oh, if I had time. Even after returning to Israel, gold is an often used symbol of the deity of Christ. Frankincense points to his perfect life of holiness, excellence, and devotion. And myrrh, an embalming spice, speaks to us of the suffering love that would lead us, lead him to the death on the cross. The Lord gives a revelation to these guys who are prominent. They humble themselves. They take an eight or 900-mile journey, 40 days at least, to go and search out where the star is so we don't understand their total history, but they have a whole entourage going with them. In other words, they were bringing a bunch of money. They were bringing a bunch of provision to offer to, the, to Jesus as an act of worship. But God knows that he's actually allowing these guys or putting in their heart to bring the provision because they're going to have to escape and go to Egypt 
which Mary and Joseph don't know yet. And, there's, and that financial, that provision, that these gifts that they brought were actually going to finance the exodus to Egypt and back again. So you have this crazy story of non-Jewish people who, are, who have money, who have been granted gifts from God, and they don't hoard it to them for themselves, but when you, they understand kingship and they actually know that they're going to go see a king, they need to bring something. They're going to bring a gift to this king, but they don't bring what we see in Target and maybe bigger presents at Costco because it costs more for these nativity scenes. They, I want you to imagine possibly wagonfuls of, of treasure that they're going to bring and present to Jesus, not in, a, not in a manger, but actually in a home where Jesus is a young child at that point, and they step in and they kneel down and they worship him as, as people who, of prominence. It's kind of like our president or our cabinet or somebody that, coming in and just kneeling down, falling before the Lord and saying, recognizing that he's the king of the Jews, having that kind of insight as a non-Jewish people, even though they're connected to Daniel, I think, non-Jewish people. But not only that, God's so smart. He's God smart. God is so smart, all right? There's, I know that's a deep revelation. He actually has these guys coming in with them with all this money and knowing that they're going to need it because he's going to be sending them to Egypt, and that's just a crazy part of the Christmas story I've never seen. Like the provision of God, even in the Christmas story. Not only is Jesus, not only is Jesus coming, which is glory enough, glory, glorious enough as it is, as a person wrapped in flesh, God, the God man being born to a, 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 from a virgin, it's like the crazy, that's crazy enough as it is. But the practical side of God actually taking care of them provisionally as, as part of the Christmas story, it's just wild to me. And I'm just, I'm, I pause for a moment and I just say, you know what, you are so good. Because I think about when they left Egypt. It wasn't enough for them just to leave Egypt, Old Testament, leave Egypt from 400 years of bondage, no. The Lord has them leave Egypt with so much provision that he actually gives them the provision to sustain themselves while they're actually making their exit out of Egypt. Like it's not enough to get your freedom. That's worth everything. But to get your provision on top of that, that's how good God is. And that's the God we serve. And that's the, and that's the I just want to, for me personally, is catch the small details in the story. You know, here he comes as the Lamb of God where shepherds have revelation of who he is. That this is not only Jesus, you know, the, the Savior is born, this is actually the Lamb of God that's going to give his life. And they were walking away trying to figure it out, just praising God because they had this huge encounter with the armies of heaven. Can you imagine? And they're walking back and, at this, and then we have the rest of the whole story, which we don't even have time. We have that. That'll take three months just to go through the Christmas story in terms of revelation. But we also see the little, the little thing of provision coming as an act of worship to the Lord. 
And then he takes care of Joseph and Mary. That whole process. You know, it just, you know, I was going to have more, but I'm not going to do it. It's just, I just talked to myself right there. So (laughs) it's just amazing to me how I can question God in so many ways. Are you going to come through? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And all I do is just do a little bit of research, get a little bit of revelation. The Lord, for me, purposes for Greg, the Lord just kind of pulls another layer back of the Christmas story for me. Just another little, just lets, lets me see, oh, that was there the whole time? And I never saw it. You know, and the Lord just has more pages. Oh, I didn't see that. And it's always going to point to his character. It's always going to point to who he is. Right? And so, oh, you know what? And you might have something too. The Lord is, don't let the Christmas seasons just come and go and get wrapped up into commercialism and consumerism. And all the stuff that has to happen, you have to get before the Word. And let the Word just, let the Holy Spirit just open up something else of the beauty of God. And after reading this, faith rises up because not everyone's like me. That's probably good. (laughs) But I do think a lot about the next year in December. I don't wait until January 1st. So I... I'm, I'm writing down my goals, my objectives, you know, from personally, for CHOP, for international stuff now. It's just like I'm, I just reflect before the Lord, right? And so here it is. I just, oh, I just, oh, just a simple Christmas story, and there's provision. You know what? It really does make sense. It, it just, the Scriptures, just, it just, it's just true. Be anxious for nothing. But through prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. He's got it. He's got you. He sees it all. I don't understand it, but today I just saw something else that I never saw before. just tells me how good he is. So when I say to you, Merry Christmas, there's more meaning today than there was a year ago because I understand more. Does that make sense? And I just want to exhort you, never let, you never let the scriptures get old, but you never let the Christmas story get old. You know, and I can't, I don't know. Does it happen yearly? I don't know. I spend more time in Matthew chapter 2 and Luke 2 this season. So maybe next year, I'm looking forward to next year because it's like, oh, I'm going to do some more and the Lord's going to show me something else. Oh, I never saw that either. You're crazy, God. Crazy in a good way, you know. Now it's like people say things when it's good, it's stupid. Or when it's good, it's ridiculous. How was the movie? It was ridiculous. That means good. 
Now, you know, you guys know I'm older. For the older ones, you guys know what I'm talking about. There are words that we use that was like, what? <laughs> I think I used one a while back ago for money. I said, That's, that costs a lot of bones. <laughs> and I'm like, I used to say that when I was, you know, younger, way back. A lot of, I said, that's money. They're like, no, it's, that's dumb. <laughs> you know? I could tell by your reaction, no one's ever heard that before. I just don't get it in my mind. It's just, it's just scary. Uh, let's stand. I just, I, my prayer this, this morning as we jump in, tomorrow, tomorrow we celebrate, some of you celebrate tonight. Um, I would encourage you to take your Bible out, read the Christmas story, and repeat the revelation. And if that's, and that's up to you, but you, you have your own revelation, your own tradition. I just, I, my prayer is that this story is alive more today than it was a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. And it is for our children and our children's children. Isn't that true? So just take the hand of the person next to you. Lord, there's, no, there's nothing we can give um, that exceeds what you gave. You know, all the money that these magi brought, these priests, these advisors brought, and they laid at your feet and they worshiped, God, we just want to say this afternoon, we just want to give you all. We want to just, we just want to reexamine our heart and say, God, it's all yours. My life, the resources that you've given me, I want to be found as a faithful steward of what you've given. And it's you taking on flesh. The revelation of the God-man coming to this earth is far exceeds my comprehension but I'm asking you, Lord, to give me more revelation around that event. And Lord, I just pray for a fresh revelation for everybody in this room of Jesus coming. And God, I pray that we just fight hard to point ourselves in that direction and away from all the commercials and all the elf movies and all the Rudolph and the Frosty the Snowman and the Santa Claus is coming to town and all the things that, you know, are, are just so pervasive in our culture. And so, Lord, the church, the ecclesia of God, bears the revelation of the Christ child coming, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who brings the government on his shoulder into the earth. And so, Lord, we recognize that today. We are amazed and astounded, and we're, we're so grateful and we're so thankful for all that you're doing in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want you to turn to three or four people and just look at them and say, Merry Christmas, with some, with some focus on that. Merry Christmas.